Welcome to Episode 2 of Short Reads for the Long Road. My name is Roger Carden and I'll be your host as we enjoy short works of fiction and discover and explore interesting articles about creative writing and world building. Today's story, Narholepotep, was written by H.B. Lovecraft and read by Roger Carden. But before we begin, a few thoughts. You may be wondering why I chose an H.P. Lovecraft story from 1920 for our second episode if our focus is on the small and independent press. There are a few reasons. First, we're still working out the details of recording a podcast and learning the ropes of spoken word performance. Believe me, it's much more difficult than it seems. Second, H.P. Lovecraft is recognized for his ability to create atmosphere, and Narholepotep is a good example. An effective storyteller must be able to convey that to the listener. Lastly, we must demonstrate that we're capable of presenting stories in the best possible way. Otherwise, it reflects poorly on the original author and publisher. Once we've built up enough of a corpus, say a half dozen episodes, we'll start reaching out to small publishers. In the meantime, we'll continue plumbing the depths of Project Gutenberg, looking for interesting stories of the public domain and working with authors of our personal acquaintance. Narolepotep, The Crawling Chaos I am the last. I will tell the audience void. I do not recall when it all began, but it was months ago. The general tension was horrible. To a season of political and social upheaval was added a strange and brooding apprehension of hideous physical danger, a danger widespread and all-embracing, such a danger as may be imagined only in the most terrible phantasms of the night. I recall that the people went about with pale and worried faces, and widespread warnings and prophecies which no one dared consciously repeat or acknowledge to himself that he had heard. A sense of monstrous guilt was upon the land, and out of the abysses between the stars swept chill currents that made men shiver in dark and lonely places. There was a demonic alteration in the sequence of the seasons. The autumn heat lingered fearsomely, and everyone felt that the world, and perhaps the universe, had passed from the control of known gods or forces to that of gods or forces which were unknown. And it was then that Narholepotep came out of Egypt. Who he was, none could tell, but he was of the old native blood and looked like a pharaoh. The Phelan knelt when they saw him, yet could not say why. He had risen up out of the blackness of twenty-seven centuries, and that had heard messages from places not on this planet. Into the lands of civilization came Narholepotep, swarthy, slender, and sinister, always buying strange instruments of glass and metal and combining them into instruments yet stranger. He spoke much of the sciences, of electricity and psychology, and gave exhibitions of power which sent his spectators away speechless, yet which swelled his fame to exceeding magnitude. Men advised one another to see Narhalepotep, and shuddered, and where Narhalepotep went, rest vanished, for the small hours were rent with screams of nightmares. 
Never before had the screams of nightmares been such a public problem. Now, the wise men almost wish they could forbid sleep in the small hours, that the shrieks of the cities might less horribly disturb the pale, pitying moon as it glimmered on green waters gliding under bridges and old steeples crumbling against the sickly sky. I remember when Naralabhadep came to my city, the great, the old, the terrible city of unnumbered crimes. My friend had told me of him, and of the impelling fascination and allurement of his revelations, and I burned with eagerness to explore his uttermost mysteries. My friend said they were horrible and impressive beyond my most fevered imaginings, that what was thrown on the screen in the darkened room prophesied things none but Naralepitap dare prophesy, and that in the sputter of his sparks there was taken from men that which had never been taken before, yet which showed only in his eyes. And I heard it hinted abroad that those who knew Narhalepitep looked on sights which others saw not. It was in the hot autumn that I went through the night with the restless crowds to see Narhalepitep, through the stifling night and up the endless stairs into the choking room, and shadowed on the screens I saw hooded forms amidst ruins, and yellow evil faces peering from behind fallen monuments, and I saw the world battling against blackness, against the waves of destructions from ultimate space, whirling, churning, struggling around the dimming, cooling sun. Then the sparks played amazingly around the heads of the spectators, and hair stood up on end, whilst shadows more grotesque than I could tell came out and squatted on the heads. And when I, who was colder and more scientific than the rest, mumbled a trembling protest about imposture and static electricity, Naralepetrup drove all of us out, down the dizzy stairs into the damp, hot, deserted midnight streets. I screamed aloud that I was not afraid, that I never could be afraid, and others screamed with me for solace. We swear to one another that the city was exactly the same and still alive. And when the electric lights began to fade, we cursed the company over and over and laughed at the queer faces we made. I believe we felt something coming down from the greenish moon, for when we began to depend on its light, we drifted into curious involuntary marching formations and seemed to know our destinations, though we dared not think of them. Once we looked at the pavement, and found the blocks loose, and displaced by grass, with scarce a line of rusted metal to show where the tramways had run. And again we saw a tram car, lone, windowless, dilapidated, and almost on its side. When we gazed around the horizon, we could not find the third tower by the river, and noticed that the silhouette of the second tower was ragged at the top. Then we split up into narrow columns, each of which seemed drawn in a different direction. One disappeared in a narrow alley to the left, leaving only the echo of a shocking moan. Another fell down a weed-choked subway entrance, howling with laughter that was mad. My own column was sucked towards the open country, and presently felt a chill which was not of the hot autumn. For as we stalked out on the dark moor, we beheld around us the hellish moon-glitter of evil snows, 
trackless, inexplicable snows swept asunder in one direction only, where lay a gulf all the blacker for its glittering walls. The column seemed very thin indeed as it plodded dreamily into the gulf. I lingered behind, for the black rift in the green litten snow was frightful, and I thought I had heard the reverberations of a disquieting wail as my companions vanished, but my power to linger was slight. As if beckoned by those who had gone before, I half floated between the titanic snowdrifts, quivering and afraid into the slightless vortex of the unimaginable. Seemingly sentient, dumbingly delirious, only the gods that were can tell, a sickened, sensitive shadow writhing in the hands that were not hands, and whirled blindly past ghastly midnights of rotting creation, corpses of dead worlds with sores that were cities, charnel winds that brush the pallid stars and make them flicker low, beyond the world's vague ghost of monstrous things. Half-seen columns of unsanctified temples that rest on nameless rocks beneath space and reach up to dizzy vacuum above the spheres of light and darkness. And through this revolving graveyard of the universe was the muffled, maddening, beating drums and thin, monotonous whine of blasphemous flutes from inconceivable, unlighted chambers beyond time. The detestable pounding and piping whereunto dance slowly, awkwardly, and absurdly the gigantic, tremendous, ultimate gods, the blind, voiceless, mindless gargoyles whose soul is Narholepotep. This has been a Portable Nouns production. The original text of this story is now in the public domain. Production copyright 2014 by Portable Nouns, LLC. This story originally appeared in the United Amateur, November 1920 edition, and is available online at Project Gutenberg, www.gutenberg.org. Portable Nouns, words to go with you.